Good morning, and welcome to the Truth and Love radio broadcast. This program has been a part of the Mid-South for the last 70 years, faithfully overseen by the Getwold Church of Christ. Truth and Love will carry on lifting up the banner of New Testament Christianity today to the Mid-South area under the oversight of the Olive Branch Church of Christ. Please join us now as Mike Hickson opens the Bible and shares the truth in love. Many years ago, the great prophet Isaiah said, Come, let us reason together. Today we want to continue a study we began last week, examining what the Bible teaches in light of what is often preached and practiced in the denominational world as well as in the Catholic Church. Our goal is to simply look at the Bible and ask, as Paul did, what does the Scripture say? And the reason is because when it's all said and done, all that really matters is what does the truth say? You know, we're going to be judged according to the truth of God. Paul said, and we know that the judgment of God is according to truth. Romans chapter 2 at verse 2. Jesus said many years ago, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And so everything that we practice, religiously speaking, ought to be able to pass the litmus test of divine truth. Again, to remember that one day we're going to be judged by God, not according to the doctrines and commandments of men, but rather we're going to be judged on the basis of what the Lord taught. Jesus said, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken the same shall judge him in the last day. My prayer today is that you will carefully consider what we talk about in light of what the Scriptures teach. We've cited before the ancient Bereans who were noble in the eyes of Luke. The reason was because they received the Word of God with all readiness of mind. And they searched the Scriptures daily to see whether those things were so. What I want to encourage you to do is to take a Bible, a pen, a piece of paper, make notes, examine what is said in light of what the truth teaches. If what is said is found in the Bible, then by all means, believe it, obey it. If not, discard it. In our study today, we want to continue this theme, as I mentioned a moment ago, the Bible versus Catholicism and denominationalism. You know, there are those in the religious world today that <clears throat> will tell you, that membership in the church is not essential. And the idea is that you can have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ separate and apart from any type of formal relationship with the church. Well, let's just investigate. What does the Bible teach? You remember in the second chapter of Acts, the Apostle Peter, we have a record of his sermon on Pentecost Day in the city of Jerusalem, preached the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Furthermore, he accentuated the coronation of Jesus in heaven, where he was seated at the right hand of God, sitting upon a spiritual throne, the throne of David. And the Bible tells us that Peter said on that great day, Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that this same Jesus, whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. Luke said in verse 37 that when they heard this, they were cut to the heart or pricked in their heart. And they cried out unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Please note carefully what Peter said to those people. Repent 
And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Peter here placing repentance and baptism before the forgiveness of one's sins. Now, as we said last week in our study, there are many that will tell you right up front, baptism is not essential to salvation. But that's not what an inspired apostle said. No, he said, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Jesus placed both belief and baptism prior to salvation, Mark 16 at verse 16. The apostle Paul, in recounting his conversion to Christ, placed baptism before the washing away of sins, Acts 22 at verse 16. The record tells us in verse 41 that those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And then listen to what is said in verse 47 by the inspired writer. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Well, who then were the saved? Those who believed in Jesus as the Son of God. Those who repented of their sins as instructed by Peter. Those who were baptized into Christ for the remission of their sins. And then what was it the Lord did? He added them to the church. Now, Let's just pause here for a moment or two and talk about the importance of the church. I know that there are people that will tell you that the church was an afterthought on the part of God. And the idea is that when Jesus came to earth, he was rejected by the Jewish people. And since they rejected him as the king, then God parenthetically set up what is often called the church age. Look, the Bible teaches that God knew beforehand that the Lord Jesus Christ would be rejected by men. In Isaiah 53, Isaiah penning his book some 700, 750 years before the advent of Jesus. Isaiah said he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. God wasn't caught off guard by unbelieving Jews, but rather God had already prophetically said through the prophet Isaiah, that the Lord Jesus would be rejected. The idea that the church was an afterthought does not harmonize with Scripture. Isaiah, in Isaiah chapters, in chapter 2, in verses 2 and 3, saw the church as an exalted mountain into which all nations would flow. He identified the place where the church would be born, that being Jerusalem. And then Daniel the prophet saw the church as an indestructible kingdom, that it would be established in the days of the Roman kings. Verse 44, Daniel chapter 2. It would stand forever. Now, having said that, listen to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 9 through 11. And to make all people see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Now note what he says in verse 11. According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished or purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Was the church an afterthought on God's part? Certainly not. No, the church and Jesus go hand in hand. The church was not just a part of God's redemptive plan. It was God's redemptive plan in the sense that Christ and the church are inseparable. 
To be in Christ is to be in the church. To be in the church is to be in Christ. Think about it like this. In 2 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 10, Paul placed God's grace in Christ Jesus. That's in verse 1. In verse 10, he said, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they may obtain salvation, which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Salvation is where? It's in Christ Jesus. There are only two places the Bible speaks of in terms of how we get into Christ. The first is Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Paul said, Know ye not that all we who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. The second passage is Galatians chapter 3, verse 27, where Paul said, As many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So we're baptized into Christ, yes. But not only are we baptized into Christ, but also into the one body. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 at verse 13, Paul said, By one spirit were y'all baptized into one body. All right, let's just pause here. What's the one body? Well, you remember what Paul said? He's the head of the body of the church. There's only one body, Ephesians 4 verse 4. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, put all, all things in subjection under his feet, made him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. So the church and the body are one and the same. When we're baptized into Christ, we are then baptized into the body of Christ. Now listen to what Luke said again, Acts 2 verse 47. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Who then are in the church? Well, those who are the saved. Well, who are the saved? They are those who are in the church. All right, here's my question. Do you have to be a member of the church to go to heaven? Well, if the saved are in the church and the church is composed of the saved, it would only stand to reason that you have to be in the church to go to heaven. But now listen to what Paul said in Ephesians 5 verse 23. Paul there in that context said, and he that is Christ is the savior of the body. That means that unless you're in the body of Christ, the church of Christ, you're not among the saved. No more than if you're not in Christ, you're not among the saved. Those who are outside Christ Jesus, they are without hope and without God in this world. That's found in Ephesians 2 verse 12. But Paul said in verse 13, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off are made near by what means? By the blood of Christ. When we're baptized into Christ, Number one, to understand we contact the blood of Christ. Where did Jesus shed his blood? In death, John 19, 34 and 35. Can I be saved separate and apart from the blood of Jesus? Absolutely not. Where then does the blood flow? In the body of Christ. When I'm baptized into Christ, I then appropriate the benefits and the blessings of his blood. I'm saved by his blood. In Ephesians 1 verse 7. Paul writes, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, unto him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. All right, Paul, when were your sins washed away? Listen to what he was instructed by Ananias. And now, why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. Sins are washed away when? When we're baptized into Christ, 
When then are we added to the church of Christ when we're baptized into Christ? In John chapter 3, did you know that Jesus said that the only way to enter the kingdom of God is through the new birth? Well, why is it so important to be in the, in the kingdom of God? Because that's where the saved are. When Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, he said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God. For no man can do the signs or miracles which you're doing unless God is with him. Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say to you, except a man be born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus then asked, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say to you, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. The Lord went on to say in verse 7, Marvel not that I say to you, you must be born again. Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, that we are the recipients of our souls being purified by obeying the truth as revealed by the Spirit of God, that is, by the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit is the revealing cause of our salvation. We have the Scriptures because of the work of the Holy Spirit. He guided the apostles into all truth. John 16, verse 13. We today have all things pertaining to life and godliness. 2 Peter chapter 1, at verse 3. We have the faith once for all delivered. Jude, verse 3. So is membership in the church essential or non-essential? Well, in the religious world, oftentimes people say it's not essential. But the Bible says it is essential that it is a must if we're to go to heaven. And then there are those who espouse the idea <clears throat> that the church needs a human head functioning on earth. You know, in Roman Catholicism, they advocate the papacy, and they have one who functions as, quote-unquote, the head of the church on earth. Now, we've already established the fact that there's just one body. And I would insist that not only is there one body, but that there is only one head. Well, how do I know that? Well, here's what Paul said in Ephesians 1 in verse 22. He put all things in subjection under his feet, made him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus is the head of the body. There's just one head and there's just one body. Now, the Catholic Church teaches that there's one body, but that there are two heads. In the denominational world, sometimes you'll hear people say, well, there's just one head, but many bodies. The Bible says there is one body, Ephesians 4, verse 4, and there is one head, Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. But then also consider what Paul said in Ephesians 5. Beginning in verse 22, Paul draws an analogy between the relationship existing between a husband and wife and that of Christ and the church. In verse 22, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife as also Christ is the head of the church and he is the Savior of of the body. <clears throat> Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. 
In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15, Paul said that there is only one blessed potentate or sovereign one who is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And who is that? Jesus Christ. There is no such thing in the Bible as the papacy. Now, many go back to Matthew chapter 16, and they affirm the fact that the church was built upon Peter, and they want to suggest that Peter was the first pope. Well, in Matthew chapter 16, when the Lord had asked the question, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? They said, some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Jesus then asked this question, but whom do you say that I am? And Peter spoke up and said, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus then replied by saying, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. In Matthew 16, verse 18, when Jesus promised Peter that he would build the church, he wasn't promising to build the church on Peter, not at all but rather he was promising to build a church on the basis of that bedrock statement that was made. Well, what was that? That he was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Think about it like this. Jesus is the founder of the church. Not only is he the founder of the church, he is the foundation of the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 at verse 11, Paul said, For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So you have one founder, one builder, one foundation. That's Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I've said this before, and I want to reemphasize this fact. If the church were built upon Peter, it would be built upon fallible man, and that's just not the case. No, the church is built upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and that bedrock statement that he was who he claimed to be, the Son of God. Now, with regard to the papacy, in the eyes of some, well, we have to have some type of human head. I mean, after all, how are we going to know how to engage in the affairs and conduct of the church? Well, the Lord hasn't left us to question or to wonder that. He has left us his last will and testament. It's called the new covenant. And you remember that new covenant was ratified by his blood. In Matthew, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 28, Jesus said, this is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. In Hebrews chapter 9, verses 15 through 17, the Hebrew writer tells us that Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. All right, here's my question. If you want to ensure that your estate is distributed according to your wishes following your decease, what do you do? Well, you know, the proper procedure is to write a will. At your death, that will will be executed. It might be probated and then executed. And then your possessions will be distributed according to your wishes. By the same token, the Lord Jesus Christ has left us his last will and testament. It's called the law of Christ, Galatians 6, 2. Identified by James as the perfect law of liberty, James 1, verse 25. It is the law of liberty, James chapter 2, verse 12. That law is not subject to alteration. There is a statement made by the psalmist many years ago that I think is appropriate in this context. 
In Psalm 119, 89, the psalmist said, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. We don't have to change the law of Christ at the whims of mankind. Why? Because that law has already, that law has already been enacted. It's not subject to change or to alteration. No, our job is to respect, revere, submit to the law of Christ. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, Paul said, Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That means you do it by his authority. And so, even as the Catholic Church suggests the papacy, advocates for the Pope, the Bible does not authorize such. Furthermore, the College of Cardinals, that's not in the Bible. As a matter of fact, historically speaking, the College of Cardinals didn't come along for about a thousand years after the establishment of the Lord's Church. Why do I mention that? Because the Scriptures are silent on a College of Cardinals, just as the Scriptures are silent when it comes to the papacy. Just one head, Jesus. Just one body, the Church. Well, what about those who give credence to what they call human creeds? Manuals of faith. No creed, but Christ and his word. The term creed means we believe. Did you know that the Bible, as I said just a moment ago, is the last will and testament of our Lord? We are to be submissive to his word. And listen, this is the word that's going to judge us. We're not going to be judged by manuals of faith, nor will we be judged by the doctrines and commandments of men won't be judged by the majority. No, we're going to be judged on the basis of divine truth. As Paul said, we know that the judgment of God is according to truth. Romans 2, verse 2. What is truth? Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. John 17, 17. In Revelation chapter 20, John said, I saw the dead small and great standing before God, and the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The books that John said were to be opened on that day, God's holy word. That means we better be living according to the word of God. Listen, if you would, to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? In your name done many mighty works. In your name cast out demons. And then will I profess unto them, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. In Revelation chapter 22, the Bible tells us, blessed are they that do his commandments. Blessed are they that what? That do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and enter through the gates into the city. How then do we know that we can live and go to heaven? By following his commands, by following his teachings. Why? Because we are to be governed by his word, not human creeds. And what about those who say, well, there are many faiths. Have you ever heard, had someone say to you, what faith are you? Listen, I'm a Christian. That's what the Bible teaches. Those who have obeyed the gospel, they're Christians. Acts chapter 11, 1 Peter chapter 4. If any man suffers a Christian, well, we're Christians. We're believers. We're saints. We're disciples. The faith, there's only one faith. Ephesians chapter 4 Verses 4 through 6, there's one body, one spirit, 
even as you're called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith. In Jude 3, Jude advocated the contending of the faith. We are to contend for the faith, that is, that system of truth once for all delivered. Not many faiths, no one faith. What about those who say doctrine is just not that big of a deal, not important? Are there those in the world today who would say, does it really matter what you believe? Well, how does that align with what the Bible teaches? It's somewhat significant in Acts 2, verse 42, concerning the early church, that following those conditions set forth by Peter to enjoy the forgiveness of sins, Acts 2, verse 38, in verse 41, some 3,000 people obeyed the gospel, but then in verse 42, note this statement, and they, that is, those early disciples, the members of the church, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, that is, in the teaching of Almighty God. The apostles were God's chosen ambassadors. They had been specifically sent for a divine purpose. They were the ones to they were the ones who brought us revelation. And so the very idea that doctrine is not important, Paul thought it was because in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul said to Timothy in the long ago in verse 16, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine and continue in them. He said, for in so doing, you'll save both yourself and them who hear you. Emphasis there on giving heed to the doctrine, the teaching of Jesus Christ. Those who abdicate the truth of Almighty God find themselves on perilous grounds. In 2 John 9, John said, Whosoever goeth onward and abideth not in the teaching of Christ or in the doctrine of Christ, listen to him, has not God. Now that's a sobering statement. If we go beyond the doctrine of Christ, our relationship, our fellowship with God is severed. But he that abideth in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. So when you hear people say, well, you know, doctrine's not that important. Just go back and read to them, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, Acts 2, verse 42. Go to the passage that was read a moment ago, 2 John, verse 9, and emphasize to them the importance of doctrine. What about those who advocate women preachers and teachers. You know, there are some today that are allowing women to have a more expanded role in worship, in a mixed assembly. Some would say that it was just a cultural thing, that it really doesn't matter. I mean, after all, they've got great ability. Look, it's not about ability, but rather it is about authority. There are many women who are tremendously talented, who have lots of ability, great speakers, but it's not, we're not talking about ability here, but rather authority. Listen, if you would, to what Paul said in First, Tim in First Timothy chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. And bear in mind that Paul said to the church at Corinth that the things that he wrote were the commandments of the Lord, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 37. Paul said, I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. That's verse 12. And to those who say, well, this is just a cultural thing, the Bible says Adam was first formed, then Eve. That's not cultural. It goes all the way back to the garden. 
In our study, we have sought to answer the question, what does the scripture say? There are many, many things that are advocated in the religious world that quite frankly do not meet the litmus test of divine truth. Would you like to be a member of the church you read about in the Bible? If so, here's what you need to do. Put your faith and trust in Jesus as the Son of God. Jesus said, except you believe that I am, you'll die in your sins. And then to repent, to turn from a life of sin as commanded by Peter on Pentecost Day, Acts 2, verse 38. And then the Bible says that we are to confess the name of Christ, Romans 10, 9 and 10. To be baptized into Christ so that our sins can be washed away, Acts 2, verse 38, the Lord will add us to the church and then the exhortation, be faithful until death, the promise being the crown of life. God bless. Thank you for listening today. We would love to have you visit with us at the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandridge Road, Olive Branch, Mississippi, 38654. We meet for Sunday Bible study at 9 a.m. Worship is at 10 a.m. Sunday afternoon study is at 1 p.m. Tuesday morning class, Bible class, is at 10 a.m. Wednesday evening Bible class at 7 p.m. Please visit our website, www.olivebranchchurchofchrist.org.